Hey guys, welcome to Electronic Dance Money, your number one business resource for making money as electronic musicians and producers. We are ready. This is going to be an awesome episode. This is one that I've been working on in the works, going back and forth, trying to get a hold of this guest, but we got a hold of him. And today I've got Frankie Rea in. You also might know him from Zen World, his fucking incredible YouTube videos, uh, YouTube channel, actually. Shit tons of tutorials on there. Um, And then his business evolution of sound evo sound which he sells and primarily does a shit ton of sound packs as well what's up frankie how you doing hey what's up i'm doing really good how about yourself not too bad man uh funny enough your you did a sound pack for hexagon oh yeah uh dude i have you done multiple no i've only them? i've only done one for for hexagon i use that sound pack more than just about any other sound i mean almost on every single track i just finished a track last week and i used i think three or four sounds from that which are the main elements of my track it's one i go back to very consistently and i'm sure there's tons of other producers that say the same thing as well oh yeah dude that that pack was really fun to make Uh, i think i collabed on that with another youtuber uh his name is sticks so he has a lot of uh, viewers as well, and he does really cool FLP remakes. But yeah, that pack that, that pack was awesome to make. Uh, I think at the time I was just really into the Don Diablo sound from his label Hexagon. You know that solid and all that. So yeah, yeah, really, really good pack. It was fun to make, and I'm glad to hear that you're utilizing it and using it for music. That's what the packs are for. So yeah, exactly. Uh, it's do you get so. I feel like a lot of producers are afraid to get so when first when uh, I guess when uh um wow why am I blanking on the name wow I am blanking serum. so hard here S- not serum not. uh the website wow why am I <laughs> uh splice Jesus Christ I can't believe why I'm blanking on splice um I feel like a, when splice first came out a lot of producers were like sick this is perfect we're got a shit ton of sounds i can get oh yeah cheap i'll jump in but now i'm actually feeling resistance on people being like i don't want to go on splice because everyone's on splice do you feel the same way uh i feel a little bit towards that i mean i I love splice i think it's awesome uh i use it a lot mainly for vocals and whatnot but when it comes down to let's say when i'm making music splice is more of an alternative i like personally me i like to buy my sample packs straight out and i like to go for packs that are super niched super so that way when i buy the pack i know what i'm getting with it so like you mentioned hexagon you know one of the things i do with the packs on evil sounds is that i always niche them down i always want the people buying it to know what it's for and and sort of the the reason i do that is because i don't want people making other stuff to go on and buy the pack you get me because they're gonna think it sucks if they're coming from a different aspect of music a lot of them are thinking oh this better have like let's say 808s and whatnot but at the end of the day that's not what the pack is about so the thing with splice for me is just too many options so you get a little bit of choice paralysis and and again i'd rather just go to good companies i trust 
that will give me what I want. And I know every pack I buy, there's going to be a lot of useful stuff in there. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. So I kind of going off of what we were just talking about before we started recording the imposter syndrome thing. So what I do feel like I see is the younger producers are now afraid to go on splice because they feel like everyone's on splice. And a part of that, I think, goes into imposter syndrome and them feeling like someone's going to know I use this sound. They're going to call me out. They're going to call me a fake, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then on the flip side, though, I know older producers who are in their early to late 30s who are all like splice is the best fucking thing because when i you know when they were producing in 2005 there was nothing like that it was so difficult to get clean new samples but now it's like your fingertips you can get a hundred within 10 minutes oh yeah i mean that's the thing i splice is amazing man honestly i people i agree you know it's, it's heavily overused but but the thing with it is is that you know, if you take time to actually dive into it rather than just going with the popular options, because on Splice, there's like a setting, right? Popular, um, just released, relevant. You know, usually what I cashmere. do. Cashmere. Yeah. <laughs> All <you> cashmere. <laughs> usually what I'll do is I'll just go on, on released, like the newest ones that have came in and I'll dive deep into it. Uh, but like I said, you know, Splice for me is more supplemental. Let's say I, I need spe something specifically. I'll look it up on there and just dive into it i feel like i'm going through some crates trying to find like the right drum loop or or let's say i have a song and like it's like you know i'm missing a top line but i'm just stuck i don't know what's gonna work on it go on splice look for some synth loops to put on top at least then i'll know okay this kind of vibe can work and vice versa especially if you're blanking out all the time man right well i, I think a lot of producers to avoid the editing of loops too like it it's really easy and creative to go in, find a really nice top line synth loop, pull that into your track. You don't necessarily need to use the entire loop, but you can cut it up. You know, you can cut it up, do really cool effects with it and come up with something. And then you can also drag that into Serum and create something with that as well. So you can get really creative with a lot of these ready to go loops and samples that you can just boom, grab right out, no, right out the box. That's, that's totally right, man. That's totally right. And, uh, you know, Ableton has, because that's what I use, uh, Simpler. I love that thing because you can do exactly what you just said. Uh, you can get the sample and, and spread it out, chop it up, and then you set it to it. Ableton sets it automatically to certain keys. So essentially you can use the, the loop melody and just play on the, on the keyboard and get different melodies out of it depending on what notes you're hitting. You just got to make sure you know what key you're in, etc. And the, the cool thing about this is, you know, we're talking about Splice. There's also a company called Arcade that came out with, uh, or sorry, Output that came out with Arcade. And I'll be honest, I think they got inspired heavily by Simpler from Ableton because that's essentially what it is. Just a bunch of loops, right? But you, you shoot them off with different keys and you can get some very interesting stuff that other people wouldn't think of doing. Let's just put it out. Yeah. Yeah. Ableton's really crafty in that sense where they just, oh, yeah. I mean, they come up with, they're so, always cutting edge. The they're always coming up with yeah, new ways to just do everything. I mean, it, it's almost like they're not reinventing any wheels either. They're just creating new and in, in, intuitive stuff that just works through and through. It just always fucking works. It's, Live 10 was crazy. I went to a demo of Live 10 right before it released with my buddy Noah uh, and this was, it was the first time I had like taken a deep dive into Ableton and I was like, Jesus, this isn't. And then they, they were also showcasing, showcasing the push too. 
I was like, what the fuck is <laughs> this is insane. I mean, this is revolutionizing how you produce music through and through. Yeah, man. Ableton King. King at audio manipulation. Uh, that's that's what I tell uh, people and my students. Like, you got to switch to Ableton. If you're, if you're trying to make like future bass and you like doing those vocal chops on top, go Ableton. It's so much easier to do stuff in the manipulation on audio that racks racks alone is uh, is a massive reason why i would want to switch to ableton but i tell people the same thing when whenever i'm talking to producers who are new or want to be a producer i'm i always tell i use able or i use cubase i'm a dedicated cubase user i'll probably always use cubase (laughs) um but i always tell people like get enabled get on ableton it's i just know cubase through and through uh that my workflow is on fire i can get a track done in just a few hours and i'm good my workflow is really clean on it um granted i'm sure if i took the time to learn ableton it would be even faster um which i am interested in getting ableton and slaving cubase to it so i can kind of have the best of both worlds um anyways let's uh dive into your background a little bit let get give us the scoop what's the story where did you start from like getting your first dog, getting your first computer or whatever to where you're at, uh, launching a sound design business, having, I would arguably say, one of the biggest YouTube channels in the EDM world. How did you get there? Oh, man, you got to cue that nostalgic music or something. <laughs> yeah, <for laughs> gonna... I'll play some nice piano nostalgic music here. <laughs> yeah, please, please post. Uh, you know what? It's, you know, it all started, man. Like, seriously, I, you know, I was a kid, 2004. I can't recall what age I was, but. Uh, I was at Fry's Electronics, which is like a electronic department store. And, and, and again, I didn't have any intention on making music or anything. And I was walking down an aisle, the software aisle, where all the games were and all the software was. And I saw this program called Magic's Music Maker 2004. And I, I t- told my parents, can I get this? You know, can I get this? Uh, at the time, I already liked DJing because here in LA, we have this uh, radio station called Kiss FM. and at night, they would always play like, they would always have a DJ just playing mixes. And I always loved the way he would mix from song to song. Like just hearing one song's instrumental with a vocal coming in from another song and all that. So, so I was already doing a little bit of DJing. But once I saw that, I was like, you know, I got to get it. So I bought it, took it home and messed around with it. The good thing is that program came with a bunch of loops, man. Like, like CDs, like bunch, bunch, bunch of loops. It was a techno uh, CD. Uh, I think they had a reggae one, an R&B one, and maybe a hip-hop one. And yeah, I started with that. And I would just hit like the auto-generate button, which would just like jumble mambo all the loops in, like synth drums to make like a song. And I thought I was the, the shiz nits and all that. <laughs> You're a producer. Yeah. There you go. Done. There you go, man. <laughs> Wrap it up. Let's call That's it. That's <laughs> it. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I messed with that until I, I finally met a friend at school that was actually doing it. And he's like, you got to try reason out. So I don't know what reason was out at the time, but that's the next I got into. Early. That was early reason. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And in all honesty, it, it looked cool. I like the whole hardware aspect of it, but I'm not going to lie. You know, if I try to do something on there, like do a side chain or, or just, you know, do stuff. You, you have to, back then you had to just grab the cables and know what you were doing with it. Uh, so yeah, definitely the workflow on it wasn't the greatest. But I, then I messed around with that a bit until finally that same friend switched over to Ableton. And, ah, and that's where I got into Ableton. And yeah, the, I had so much more fun with Ableton, man. You know, I guess reason is good for the people that have that hardware, hardware background. 
for me, Ableton was just right. So I've been with it since then. And I want to say it was like 2008 when I moved to Ableton. Ableton's when you go from Reason, something like Reason to Ableton, it's almost like you're in this new uncharted territory, this new world, because you're more free for creativity. Definitely. There's way more you can do, like just in terms of whatever it is that you want to do. Definitely, man. So, you know, that, that was mainly it. So that's when I, you know, Ableton really changed it for me. Time I was making trance and then 2010 came along. Uh, and then that's when I really picked it up, like pick, picked it up. I was out of high school. So I had all this time going to college and whatnot. So yeah, just working on music. Time was like trance, big room, all of that good stuff. But then eventually, you know, I was like, okay, I'm making all this music, which I don't think was that good. But again, I think most producers always say like, I never think it's good enough. Yeah. Right? And I was like, you know what? I need to get an audience for my music. So how can I do that? So I started looking at YouTube. I was a huge fan of it. And I, I, back then I used to watch these tutorials by Boy in a Band. Uh, he used to make like Reason tutorials and all that. So that's where I learned a lot of Reason stuff as well. And I was like, you know what? I can do that. But then again, you know, I was like, how can I do it differently? What, what are people talking about on YouTube? And the biggest thing was sound design. So same, same time around the same time from like 2010, uh, since I was making trance, I would go to the Anjuna Beats forum all the time. Uh, which was a good forum, but a bunch of snobs as well. <laughs> like <And> Reddit? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, man. So I don't know what time, but essentially they would talk a lot of smack on people utilizing presets and, and sound packs and stuff like that. I think Skrillex came out with uh, Scary Monsters and yep. Nice Sprites, right? Yeah. And there was a whole thread on there about how Skrillex utilizes just base one-shot samples and massive presets and all that. And yeah, they were just talking smack on the guy. Uh, back then, you know, I was like, you know, if I ever get big, I don't want people to say that about me. I want to make sure they know I made everything yep. from scratch and whatnot. <laughs> so I learned a lot of sound design, man. So, so around 2014 is the, again, the time where I was just like, I need to, you know, I need to create an audience for this music so that when I release stuff, people care about it. Cause sadly, you know, a lot of artists come on and they'll just release stuff expecting people to care. And you, you got to look at it from that point of view. You know, it's like a brand in any in, in sense. If no one knows who you are, why are they going to care? So, so I was like, YouTube, we can do it. What can I offer? So I was like, well, most people that like dance music make are music producers, right? They're going to be the biggest fans of it. So let's make some pre, uh, like essentially uh, preset tutorials for them. So back then I was into trance. So that was like my first video. I think it was like on YouTube was the Origin Nielsen lead tutorial. Uh, so I taught how to do that. And then from there, it, got all, it didn't do that well, like two, 3,000 views over time. But I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do that because I started seeing people started coming on. And I just kept doing that, doing that. Eventually, I was like, all right, what's big? Big room. You know, we got Epic, Sandro Silva. Boop, 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 you know, yeah, little, dude. <laughs> yeah, the massive, Quintino. the massive pluck of death, I call it, uh, with a bunch of reverb. And, and yeah, I just started doing that, man. Doing that, doing that. Eventually, my channel grew to around 20,000, and this is where I got the first sample pack company to reach out to me. Is because back then I didn't know you could make a living off what I do right now at the moment, selling sound mix and presets. the The company's name was called Shockwave Samples, which you know they've been doing it for a while back then. And essentially, they told me, "Hey, uh, let's make a Silent One sound bank since you got a good following with this." And I was like, "All right, let's do it." What do you want me to do? They're like, "Just make a pack with a bunch of sounds, like big room inspired and 
and you're good to go. So I made that pack for them. And that's how I started essentially getting into this business I'm in now. And it did really good. You know, I was looking at the sales coming in. I would get the email notifications and I was like, oh, I'm making so much money. <laughs> uh, not knowing business side of stuff. Yep. Not the knowing taxing, just the uh, <laughs> Yeah, but past the taxing too. It's the way the way um distribution works and all that, the fees that come with that, man. So I, at first, you know, I was like, they're selling the sound bank. Uh we're gonna split it half and half, me and Shockwave samples. And I was like, all right, three thousand sales in a week. So three thousand dollars worth of sales. That was that was the first thing. So I was like, all right, there's money in this. But the thing with Shockwave samples that I didn't like was that they didn't have their own website. And they were they were using essentially a distributor. So, for instance, you know, if you have like a label like Anjuna Deep or Anjuna Beats, and they put their music on Beatport, Beatport's a distributor, so they're gonna distribute the music, right? And Beatport or wh whoever it is, we can say producer loops at the time, charge fifty percent right out of the get go, no matter what. And essentially, Shockwave Samples was putting the packs on Beatport producer loops. They did really good. They got to the number one spot uh, in the respective category. And when the when my payment finally came, yeah, it was like not what I was expecting. You so, got more like twenty five percent than exactly yeah. twenty five, dude. And I was like, oh, fuck. you know, I was like, I thought I was making all. all this yeah, dope. it's a little disappointing. Yeah, exactly. So, so you know, I, I just like whatever. So it did really good. They were like, let's do volume two. So we did volume two, did just as good, etc. Volume three. But around this time is where I was kind of like, you know what? I I have a huge following on YouTube. This sample pack company, I, I don't see value in what they're giving me. It's because all they're doing is putting it on producer loops and B port for me, and they're taking 25% out of the get-go. And then producer loops and B port are taking 50%. And at the time I wasn't happy either because producer loops and B port weren't promoting it pro like they weren't putting it in specific spots that I wanted them to be at. So I'm going, I'm paying these guys 50% of that income coming in uh, from the sales, you know, cost to do business, but is it worth it for me? And again, at this time, I didn't know what I was worth. I didn't know business at all. So I was like, you know what? It is what it is. Uh, so yeah, eventually I was like, you know what? Why don't I just start my own sample pack company? What do I need to do? So that's when I started reading about it. And it was simple, right? Just make a website, you know, uh, essentially go and, and sign up as a business respective um, county that you're in. So that's how it started. So I did my first pack by myself, Silent One Revolution Volume 1. And it did just as good as those volumes. But this time, I, I sold it myself through, I believe it was Selfie. And I also put it on producer loops. Um, so again, I'm giving a bit of income away there. But it did good and i didn't you have retained to an additional 25 what like 20 or 50 25 to 50 percent exactly like i i made more and i was happy with it but again almost instantly doubled your income yeah pretty much <laughs> so <laughs> and again you know it comes from that value i feel like for sure if you're if you're somebody starting out and there's a good like company or label that you can get your stuff out on it's worth it because you're paying for that exposure but you know, at that time, I just didn't know that. Like, I, I was just clueless about all of this stuff. So then finally, I was like, you know what? I need to take this seriously. So I started reading business books and all that. Like, uh, I think a good business book I read was Content Marketing, um, which talks about what essentially I was already doing and I didn't even know. 
uh, and then I, I read books on how to sell stuff, um, how to get people to buy your stuff, etc. online marketing and whatnot. A lot of it I didn't like because I hate hard sell tactics. So I like the content marketing. I was already doing it and it was working for me. So I was like, that's what I'm going to stick with. Anyways, I was still going to college and not taking it like full time, full time. Seriously, man. And, and then my wife, girlfriend at the time, she tells me, why don't you drop out of school and go all out at it? Like, just try it out. What do you have to lose? I'm like, all right, we'll do, we'll do one semester break. So I finally doubled down on it. I did a bigger pack because the packs I was making, I guess I didn't know my worth. I was selling them for 15, 20 bucks. Did a bigger pack for $50. And the first, the first month of that pack being released, I think the income was like 14,000 in sales. And again, this time I, I released everything myself. I didn't, I didn't include producer loop, speedport, no label, just my label. And yeah, I got to keep most of that. So now I was like, there's money here. Now, when you made that big producer pack, $50 a pack, did you have more sales in terms of you sold more copies um, than the previous packs that were cheaper? Yeah. So that was crazy. Yeah. And there's, there's a couple of really interesting things happening there. One is the value. So um, like in, in value in terms of price. So this is something that the six figure home studio I was telling you about before talked about a lot. This is something that I talk about a lot. I think this was something I might've mentioned in the previous podcast episode that I did as well, which was about starting a mixing and mastering studio. So I own a mixing and mastering studio. That's pretty much all I do for EDM producers. Um, and really early on, I was, I mean, my, what I was charging for mixes, I'm embarrassed to even say now, but I was charging $45 for a full what? mix. Full mix. And this was when I was just starting though. So again, same like you, I didn't know my value. I didn't think I was making that great of mixes. So I was like, low ball it is all hell. Um, and the issue with that is I got really shitty producers. So like I was getting really shitty tracks. So I was trying to get, make really shitty tracks sound really good, which was a great, it was a great learning experience. I, that was probably when I learned the most. That's when I got really good at mixing. Um, but you also get these nightmare clients, you know, you get these people who want to pay for a cheap thing. So they're going to get a cheap thing and they, ex they have all these expectations and it can cause a lot of issues. As soon as I started raising my, I mean, my rate is way higher now. Um, but as soon as I started raising my rate and more significantly, like back in May, I raised my rate, started running a lot more ads and I immediately was getting quality producers hitting me up wanting mixes and masters really good tracks way easier to mix i knew exactly where to take that stuff and i was making more and so there's this you know when you raise a price of something like that if you you know you showcase something that was 25 30 dollars and then you go oh this one's 50 a lot of the times if they were getting a price you know a, a product at a much cheaper rate and they were like this is fucking incredible and then you go, this one's 50. They're going to think I was getting this quality at 25, $40. Now, I'm, what am I going to get at 50? Um, it's very similar to if you go, if anyone goes to webinars, webinars give out the best free content that they have. They usually give away their best stuff for free. So you're going to learn something really good in an hour. And then they're going to cut at the end of it. They're going to say, hey, we've got this course. Do you want to join this course? 
And most of the time people immediately buy in because they got a really good piece of free content immediately. So they're thinking that in their head, they're going, okay, this is free. What's in the paid content? And so they're much more likely, likely to dive in on that. But then the other thing too is that I think is really interesting why, why you might've gotten more sales is possibly the exclusivity. So, you know, before you were on producer loops, in addition to selling it yourself, and then now you can go, oh no, you're not getting this anywhere else. You're not going to get this on Splice. You're not going to get this on producer loops. The only place you're going to get this is here, which, you know, if you have a big enough audience, but also your audience is relatively small, but dedicated, they're going to, they're all thinking not even the biggest producers are going to have these sounds. Like it's just going to be me. So there's something really interesting there, which I'm, I'm curious if that led to more, you know, better results. You, you made more sales plus the price increase. So everything just fucking exploded. No, yeah, that's, that's the thing. But like I said, you know, that time, that month, I finally took everything seriously. So I, I started doing like, again, I already knew I was doing the content marketing. And I was like, how can I essentially apply some of the stuff I learned? So I did do a bit of email marketing um, in sense. I also did like a free release of the pack, like a little version of it. Again, going back to give them all the good stuff. And <laughs> yeah, um, and, and that was the thing. So that pack definitely did really good. Um, I can't say why, but maybe it is the price increase, you know. But again, you know, at the end of the day with the pack, I was just trying to make something good that people will, will use and they will like because I, I used a lot of sample packs before that were not up to par to what I would feel would be a good pack. And that's what I was trying to improve on, right? Solve something in that, in that space. Uh, but yeah, you know, from there, I just released more packs and, and again, niching them down. So that festival, it was called festival revolution. Uh, I started niching everything down like that. So that was like a big room pack, let's say main mainstream EDM at the time from there, all the other packs started coming and I started noticing niche it down, niche it down. I think that could have also played a bigger role in the sales as well, because every pack before that was just like a, a a preset pack for a synth but it was all over the place it was like deep house house trance big room blah 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 and i felt like you know what people buying this they're gonna be like well i'm getting all these sounds but they're only gonna use two or three in there now with the more niche down packs i know they're gonna use most of the stuff in there and it also brings uh, a big big thing as well because it also makes it easier for me to know what these people want so when you niche it down that's a big thing. I know, okay, if I'm making a Hexagon Revolution pack, all right, these guys are all about Don Diablo and the Hexagon label. So I know what kind of leads is going to tickle them in the right way. They're going to be like, oh, damn, fuck. Uh, so, so that's like another big thing uh, that comes with it, man. I love that. I love that you saw, okay, well, let me niche these down and see what happens. And yeah, you're going to get a lot more people who want more of the sounds. They're going to utilize it a lot more often. And everything within it too, and you're probably gonna see more. The I like what you said though is the you know people want something specific, and that's true. You know, if if I'm a big room producer, I want every sound to be the best big room sound that I have ever heard. So when you make a niche down pack like that, you're really delivering through and through results that are great. I mean, you know what to expect every single time, and so you're gonna make mega fans with that type of content because if you know if they bought one i mean take for me for instance i use that fucking hexagon pack every single time so now if i know if i go to evo sounds and i see a 
sound pack that is i've been producing a lot of trance recently if i see a trance one specific for epic trance or whatever i know what to expect i know they're gonna be really good fucking sounds that i'm gonna utilize and that's just because for the past year year and a half i've been using the same fucking sound pack almost every goddamn track so um i really i really do like that that is really interesting that's super important it's almost like instead of I mean, you have niched your business down to EDM producers, but then you can almost niche it down further to specific genres, specific types of producers, whatever it is. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. And, you know, if we get even further into it, uh, you know, essentially what, I'm, what I am is a sound designer. So and also a producer. But at this point, I think I'm more of a sound designer than a producer. What I've started to notice is going back to what you were saying about getting low quality tracks when you're charging less. Right. The thing is, a lot of the younger producers, I, I hate to say it because some people say, oh, he sells sound banks and sample packs. He's just saying that because he wants more sales and he wants people to use them. But they do play a huge role, man. Like, seriously, if you're making a tech house track or if you're making a trance track, the type of kicks, the type of claps, the type of open hatch you use, they play a huge difference, right? So, for instance, you, if you're trying to mix like a trance track and the guy decides to put a damn 808 kick, like a boom, boom, instead of the right kick, how the hell are you going to mix that? So, so again, niching it down even further for me also guarantees that I'm giving these guys good content that's going to make their music sound better right out of the get-go. I'm making kicks specific for the genre. Again, a lot of these guys don't know that the kick plays a huge role in the mix. If you have the wrong kick, it, it like ruins the track. But the moment you switch that kick, it's like the track changes and now it's like, whoa, what did you do? I'm like, I just switched out the kick, man. <laughs> Dude, that, yeah, for real. I fucking, I love what you're saying. It is, it's so true. I mean, you're, you're giving away really good content that's accurate. Like, you're giving accurate results. You know, you're, you're telling people, hey, you use this sound pack, or this, this pack in general with samples and sounds, you're going to be able to make a full trance track with this through and through. That's going to be accurate. That kick thing is super important. There's a number of times my buddy Noah, who I'll send tracks to, to have him take a listen, and he'll say the same thing. He's like, you're using a house kick. Like, yeah. this is not, you know, <laughs> this, isn't a, this isn't a deep, big, hard, kind of resonate, resonant kick that you should be using for trance or like an epic trance one. Like, this isn't the right kick. It's like, you got to switch that out. And I switch it out and I go wow okay that's completely different now that is uh the, yeah the sound completely changes so yeah that's that's the thing so it, it that's that's the biggest thing you know the more i get you know the thing is is i'm always improving production wise and sound design wise so as i improve production wise i'm going like you know what the sounds matter a lot like seriously and this is what i you know i teach people as well i always tell them the sounds you pick are pretty much half of the mix in my opinion if you're picking like a, a heavily distorted lead, putting it with a heavily distorted bass and heavily distorted drums, how are you going to expect all of that to work? So again, going back, it's the sounds play a huge role in that. And it, again, I'm not saying it just to be like, hey, go buy some packs from Evo at sounds.com. <laughs> no, it's, it's truthfully that that's the biggest thing, man. Like, and again, that's something I, I'm glad I can offer people. And the more I'm doing it, the more I'm starting to realize how important that is. Yeah, it is very important, the sound design aspect. It, it's something, you know, what I was taught. So I, I joined the, um, I joined Ill Gates producer dojo for a little while and was checking that out. And um, 
he talks about doing sound design, having days where you're just doing sound design or just a session, you know, where you spend mm-hmm. an hour to two. And what that does is one, you obviously learn better sound design. You also learn how to make sounds work with each other and you'll always have yeah. fresh new sounds for your next session. And this is something that I quickly learned. Yes, is very true. And it's something that I also try to teach as many producers as possible. And when you start doing that, you do realize how important sound design it, it is such a major part of sound selection is such a major part of production and mixing. And when you figure that out, your world changes and suddenly you want to spend more time on sound design. And as you start spending more time on sound design, which is why partially why I wanted to have you in here is you start building up these massive banks of sounds that no one has but you. And if you're a producer who's wanting to be full time, if you're wanting to make money, if you're wanting to tour, you're wanting to do all these things, you know, it used to be 10 years ago. You could just do that. You could just DJ. Um, yeah, it, you could just be a DJ. And then all of a sudden people were producing is like, OK, now you have to write music. And now we're in this weird stage within the last five years or so where it's no longer you can just be a DJ and just be a producer. You have to be so much more than that. You have to be doing something that can help supplement what you're wanting to do. Now, I say it through like very consistently. I say it. Not everyone's like you will get the you know, the the one percent of people who can just be a producer and then they learn how to DJ and they have all these fans and they're touring and that's all they're doing. That happens. You know, there, there are the Martin Garrixes. There are the Hardwells. There, there are these people who will be huge. Um, and a lot of that has to do with either, you know, maybe they have a family member involved in the business or they know people. Um, and so they can really get jumped in front of a lot of people and just do that. However, for the sheer majority of us, we're going to have to find something that can help supplement our career that we're going to love. And that still applies to what we're doing. So sound design is a big one that I talk about in my podcast. Now, I haven't had a sound designer on here who does that stuff full time. So I'm very happy you're the one on here talking about this because it is a it's a possibility for almost every producer, especially if you're improving and you're constantly working on sound design. You can and and with things like Splice, like you were saying before, you know, you saw a point where, OK, these guys aren't adding enough value to me and I'm losing out on this income. Let me take this leap in this direction and see what happens. And it was probably the best decision you could have made. And like you mentioned earlier. Similar to producers releasing on a record label. It comes down to, okay, do you just want to make the sound pack? Just make the sound pack and put it on Splice and promote it a little bit and see what happens or get these contracts with these other businesses. You can do that to dip your foot in the water and see how it is. And then, um, you know, this is something I talk about with producers and record labels a lot is whether or not they want to self-release or release with a record label. And really it comes down to how much work do you want to put in? Um, if you want to self-release, you have to be prepared to come up with like a six-week promo plan, um, either like pre-release and post-release, you know, get some videos together, get some, you know, if you want to run some ad campaigns, like you have to get all this stuff together, follow through with that promo plan, and it could very well work out for you. Like you could get a really good track that gets traction. You get 10, 20,000 listens, you're playlisted, and you get all of the royalties from that. But also, you got to look at how much time did you spend on that? 
So if you don't want to do that, if you'd rather save your time, that's why you'd want to go with a record label because the majority of the time, the record label is going to help out with that sort of stuff. Um, it's the same thing with business, especially with sound design businesses. You have third party companies that are sitting and waiting for you to bring your sound pack to them so they can collect passive income. And yeah. it, I mean, it's the same with you as well. Like you can create passive income with this sort of stuff, you know, relatively, cause you, I'm sure there's a time frame where the sound pack kind of dives, dies off and you have to release a new one, but, um, you can just release with these companies, take a cut, you know, take a pay cut percentage cut. And that's good. There's a lot of different avenues that you can take is the point. And if you're doing sound design, if you're a producer, not doing sound design one, I do think you should go buy sound packs because you can hear and, you know, reverse engineer sounds to see how producers are making stuff. But still, you should definitely be making your own sounds. There's a lot of opportunity to one in, you know, improve your tracks with your own sound, but then also build up a bank to promote, sell. Um, I, I'm a huge proponent of collecting emails for email lists, and there's not a better thing to do than give out free sounds for collecting emails. It's one of the tactics yeah, that, that yeah, it's I use it. I have a sound pack that's 90 sounds for Serum that I'm running ads at on Facebook almost consistently like hey, give, you know, here's here's 90 sounds for free. Just give me your email and then I'm going to give you really good value in my email list and then you'll get my marketing email and hopefully you'll buy into my product. Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah, to me, um try the email marketing thing out as well. You know, the thing with me, it's it's more like I love what I do and it's it's like I, I know I should be doing like email marketing, throwing ads on stuff. But like going back to, to when I read those books, which I, that's where, where I learned that stuff. I think the one that spoke to me more was the content marketing to be um, I, I hate and that's just me personally. I hate like shoving my product down people's throats constantly. I'm not going to name who, but there's some companies out there that just take it a little overboard with that. and. And every person I talk to that's a producer and we get into discussions like this, they always bring it up and they're like, yeah, fucking annoying. I just wanted the pack and now I'm getting constantly bombarded. So that's just me, though. Like, I personally hate doing that. So I stick with, like you said, co just content, giving them good content on YouTube and on Instagram value. Uh, I read a book, like I said, and, and that's where I learned majority of this stuff. Even though I was already doing it, I just finally put like a name to it and like to the strategy. But I guess people also feel thankful that, hey, you know, I learned I owe this guy a lot and they they want to help you out. They want to support you as well. Um, so for me, that that is like the biggest way for me that I sell sound banks, YouTube videos, Instagram videos with good information. I don't sell the pack like that. I say, hey, so I'm using this pack. You want to support me? The best way to do it. If you like the sounds in the video, you can see yourself using it. Right. And they just, you know, again, they, they see it. They see, okay, wow, this guy did it really fast, made it look so easy. Maybe I need his pack. I'm going to help him out. And the, that works for me really well. So Graham Cochran, who I was telling you about before, if, if you guys don't know who Graham Cochran is, he started the record, Recording Revolution, which is a course all about recording musicians and artists and whatnot, um, instruments. And he made seven figures off of that business wildly successful um, this is yeah, yeah this is the strategy that he he talks about he's like he tells everyone screw paid advertising all like content is king you know gary v talks about this a lot 
Um, but Graham Cochran, especially this is, that's how he got his business so successful. So I think it was back in like 2010 or 2011, he decided he was going to create 35 minute videos and release a video every single day, teaching someone something new about mixing, about mastering, about recording, um, on, and post them on YouTube for 30 days And this blew up. I mean, it was getting sent everywhere. His account blew up and through this, he realized there's a lot of value in content. So he started doubling down on that and that's how he runs all of his businesses. He doesn't run any paid marketing. It is just through content. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. It's it's I see first off it's free. You're just investing your time. Uh and again, I feel like the value and the way you generate those sales, you're more likely to get a super fan and people that yes. vibe with the vibe with it like they'll support you. They become super fans as you they would say, share. right? And they share. Those who and, care share. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's again. Those who care share. Uh, yeah, man. Honestly, that that's just my like. Again, I love that style that he did. And maybe I did learn a bit from him because I used to watch some of his videos, even though I don't record stuff. But I know who he is. I've seen his videos. He have a lot of a lot of views. And yeah, I could definitely see that, man. Uh, it's good to hear. He that's the strategy that's, for all. Yeah, that's all he does. Um, you should check out. So. You know, there's something about there's something about us producers that I talk about talk about freaking a lot. Um, and that's the fact that we feel like we need to do it all and be it all. Um, you know, we need to do all the sound design. We need to make all of our own samples. We need to mix it all. We need to master it all. We need to promote it all. We need to do everything. And I'm very much so against doing every single thing. I think it's important to find what you're really good at. Double down on that. Find out what you're weak in and either off you know give that to someone else to handle outsource. Or yeah outsource it do whatever you can to not have to do the stuff you suck at and just focus on what you're good at because that's going to always bring you up way higher than trying true. to bring everything so even keel so you mentioned like i've tried email i feel like i need to do email marketing i feel like i need to one you found what works stick with that and so there's a book you should read called the one thing by gary keller i think I'll put it in the show notes, but also uh, send you a link to a copy of it. Really good book. And it's basically talking about, you, do you know about the 80-20 principle? No. So the 80-20 principle is another really good book that, that you should read, I think by Richard Koch, I believe. Um, but it's about this theory that is pretty much set in stone. It's almost true through and through you could have 95 5 you could have 90 10 but there's always this principle that's broken down usually on average 80 20 so 20 percent of what you're doing is causing like 80 percent of your success and then 80 percent of what you're doing is or and then you can do the flip side of like 20 percent of what you're doing is causing 80 percent of your stress and so you want to find out where these 80 20s lie and basically the 20% that is giving you a majority of your success, just dive into that because you can cut out 80% of the bullshit and focus in on the one thing. And then the, like I, this book, the one thing takes the 80-20 principle and then breaks that down into like another 80-20. So you can find the one thing you can do that's going to give you ultimately the most success possible. Um, and I mean, you pretty much have found your one thing, which is YouTube and YouTube is so, so I, I a lot of my business is based around content, just providing value that is, I am so about providing value. This podcast is about providing value. The articles I write are about providing value. 
my emails, almost everything is about providing value because I want to help out other producers. Um, and my next stage is going to be YouTube at some point. I'm going to have to transition because video, video is content king and it's just improving. But you got into a game, I think, probably early on. In oh, yeah. Perfect, <laughs> perfect point. I mean, YouTube is... You, you talk about this, uh, you know, people feeling creating super fans, people feeling like they owe you. And there's this reciprocity rule in, in, yeah, in marketing uh, where it's, it's very much so like I was talking about in the webinar, you know, when they give you the best free piece of content, when you give away a lot of really good free content, psychologically, what happens with a lot of people, whether they realize it or not, they feel they're they are indebted to you in some some word of this some sense of the word um there was testing done actually in this office where this guy they had a couple of different test groups where they were going to ask for a favor one of the test groups would go in and just ask for the favor from someone and it was something like 80 percent of it got struck down they said no but then they had another test group where this guy would go in and bring a soda and they would give the soda to the person and say, hey, here you go. Or they would make them a cup of cup of coffee. They would just bring something in that they didn't expect and give it to them for free. And then they asked for the favor. And it the, the success rate, instead of being like 80% no, it was more like 80% yes, because they felt they were indebted whether or not they actually really were or not. So that's what you kind of drive drive to with this recipe or with content in yeah. providing value is people will feel they're they almost feel indebted they're like this person has helped they've taken the time to help me out the least i could do is buy their product or support them in x y or z uh so you're nailing on something really key there and it is that reciprocity rule of creating youtube videos no yeah that's the thing that's why like you said you know started early on noted lately i've been noticing a lot of DJs, producers, and, and dance music have started making videos now. It could be because of that, mainly, you know, super, creating super fans and again, uh, providing content so people um, indulge in their music as well. And, that, and that's the big thing. So I've been seeing a lot of producers now on Instagram, TikTok, and, uh, doing their thing. And, and yeah, I think it's, it's smart, man. It's, it's, it's definitely smart. Um, not that educated on that, but if it's working for them, it's, it's working for them. Yeah, the well, and you you kind of hit on something early on is the you saw where you were well, you saw in your career where you might be lacking it, and it was the audience. You're like, I need an audience. How can I create an audience? You're YouTube, exactly. Great tutorial videos, and then I mean, it's just it sets it in stone right there, and you have an audience. If you release a track, you can say, Hey, I've got this track I released. I bet you've got almost instantly a specific amount of views because you have. A specific yeah. amount of super fans that are going to listen to it every single time. Exactly. My my thing, if we take away the sound design aspect of it, let's say I wanted to make money from music now, is how qual like how valuable is the audience I have already, right? Because I see it. I don't know if this is a mistake from a lot of producers or not. Maybe you can give your input on it. But when I have students saying I want to do content marketing because I do talk to them about it, they always ask me what they should be doing. The problem with IC is a lot of them cater to pro other producers. So I don't know if that's the right way to take it. You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they'll make like, like posts about like how to mix and all. I'm like, 
But I'm like, well, how is that gonna bring the audience you want? Yes. Right. So when I see people doing that and they're just promoting music, I feel like it's a little bit wasted time. In all honesty, the ones I feel, and again, not educated, it's just hunch. The ones that work best are the ones creating content with their music and content with their with their knowledge of production and making content that is enjoyable for even the average person that doesn't make music yes to yeah. to indulge right that they're gonna like it so uh remixes uh fun little videos where like i'm gonna flip this sample and it's like 30 minutes 30 seconds sorry i feel those are the best but I, I don't know if I agree. No, 100%. So there's a couple of different types of value that you can provide to people. Now, you and I, we cater to a very specific we know who our target target audience is. Yeah. We know who we need to be purchasing our sound or you know, your sound packs, my mixing and mastering services. So we're going to cater to a very specific audience. Your YouTube channel, you're going to give away the your best knowledge. This is how I made this sound design or this sound. And so they'll recreate it, but then they'll go, you know, like what like the webinar, free content, what's in the paid one? Let me get that. I can reverse engineer whatever. Um, at that point, exactly. you don't care. You've made the sale. Um, and so I should you don't care that they're re, you know, reverse engineering your sound <laughs> or not. They're they're utilizing some sort of skill set that you've been able to teach them. Um, you'd still care about them. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I care about the people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, as long as as long as I'm providing value, that's that's the important thing. So, going back, you say reverse your presets. Totally agree. They can do that. But the other thing I notice, you know, with business, you always want to solve a problem, or 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 as the way I teach my kids, uh, you want to make someone's life easier or save them time. That's what I feel like I'm doing for people. Yeah. Uh, saving them time. Uh, you know, a lot of these sounds in these packs sometimes that I make, I take hours to learn how to make them or recreate them from their favorite artists. And again, I'm doing all that and that's time they're going to be saving because they could go in. They're yep. like, oh, that's how that sound is made. Uh, rather than them going eight hours, 10 hours, just trying to figure it out for themselves. For right? one sound. And for then one. they go, oh, there's 80 more. Uh, you know what? I'd rather just spend the 40 or $50 on the whole pack and then I can dive right into making a really good track. Exactly. Going back to the types of value, though, like I said, we, we know our target audience. So we're going to cater to that audience. You know, this podcast is for EDM producers, the business industry, about yeah. the business industry. Now, if you're just a producer wanting to be a DJ, the best person that I can point to, uh, which this was actually in a meetup group that I was in. My my buddy uh, Alex, uh, he goes by Loesch, L O W S H. If you guys are, if anyone, if anyone's listening right now, go on TikTok, look him up, and see how he's creating content. He's creating content way different than you know what we're talking about in our businesses. The type of content we're creating is accurate. We're targeting the right people. That doesn't mean that's the right target audience for you as a producer if you're just trying to get more listeners and more fans because, you know, if you're target, you, you're making, like you said, these tutorial videos on production, on mixing. Yes, you are getting other producers, but what are you, what are you, are you wanting them to be fans? You could get fans from them, but that, that's such a niche and such a tiny audience that you're focusing too much of your time on rather than creating value in entertainment. There is a shit ton of value in entertainment. People always want to be enter entertained. They want to laugh. They want to cry. They want to be angry. They, you know, they want these emotions drawn out of them. So 
If you can create that type of content, you're going to build super fans like that. Loesch is a very good person to look at in terms of if you're want another great one would be um Dylan Francis. That's a mm. much more common. Oh name. yeah. He creates super fans that never would have been super fans if he didn't create the content he created. Hilarious comedy videos. You even have some comedy videos on your YouTube channel, which are like some of your biggest ones too, it looks like. They've got over 100,000 views on some of them. Yeah. And Loesch is doing the same thing on TikTok. He had a video go viral on TikTok that got over like 200,000 likes. I think over a million uh, watches because he was creating content that was hilarious on TikTok and he's still doing that sort of stuff. So he's catering to the right audience and exactly. he showcases his own music and some of them as well while also pertaining to a comical sense. So yes, you're 100% spot on is, you know, if you want to go this omnipresent content strategy that uh, Frankie here has done, but you don't necessarily have a product to sell or want to sell a product. I mean, granted, your music, if you're selling your, your music yeah. is your product, you have to cater to that fan base. And if you, you know, you got to create funny YouTube videos, you have to create funny videos to post on IGTV, on TikTok. You have to, if you want to go the content route, you have to go the entertain, entertaining route. Um, if you're playing in big, in front of big crowds, that's a really good way of, you know, you can cut that stuff up into music videos or whatever, or just post a video of you playing in front of a crowd people are going to look at that and they get the sense of oh i want to be a part of that group too so i'm going to like you and follow you so i can yeah. be a part of that in circle that's that you're entertaining it's there's a friend. lot yeah there's a lot of really interesting psychological effects that go into you know gaining support and fans and uh you know the whole marketing aspect of the industry no, yeah, definitely, man. And and again, it's it's just looking at what your music is about as well. Who, who's gonna who's gonna essentially buy your music? It's it's the biggest thing. So if you have a very let's say partyish music, music you listen to when you go out and and have fun with your friends, and again, you you're trying to target those people, so you need to make content for that. But if you're making more serious music, like chill, like for instance, me right now, I'm making a lot of like chill, uh, deep sort of stuff. For me, if I were to do content for that music, I would probably take a different approach to it than making videos that, again, are funny. So I'll probably make, like, maybe, like, I tie that a lot to nature stuff. Hiking, going uh, going to beautiful places. So, I could, again, I could use that sort of, like, music and make content that will fit it. So if, let's say, I have a very chill, deep song and it sounds a little bit like Yosemite or something, then I could maybe go there and create a video based on that. I could go viral or again, get the right demographic into it. Not yeah. just, not just random people that are going to be like, eh, this is boring. Right. Uh, right. You got to tar so. you got to find that target audience and then you got to test, you know, it's not, you yeah. know, that first piece of content is never going to blow up unless you're lucky. Um, in which case there's your one thing, dive into whatever that is. Cause it worked. Um, cool. Otherwise. Yeah. Otherwise you got to kind of, you know, spread it out, make a bunch of different types of videos find out what works and find what's working let's kind of shift focus because it's been I, I try as we're recording this i'm kind of going over in my head i'm like fuck when am i gonna call this episode because there's a lot of really good we're dropping a lot of really good knowledge it's definitely gonna be based on the sound design aspect but i'd love to shift focus over into the youtube world because yeah. this is how you have utilized you know going full-time and being able to 
just focus on your business, which is really interesting because there's only a handful of people that I can really look at that have been able to utilize YouTube to support their career or, you know, promote your product. So uh, when did you really see your YouTube channel start to blow up and what type of content was that? So here's the thing. YouTube channel for me has been a slow grind. It, it, it didn't blow, blow, blow up, but consistency is key grind. too. when all the stuff we're talking about in terms of content, consistency is key. Yeah. So for me, I think it was the biggest one was from when I shifted from trance over to what was in at the time, which was big room. And and shifting to big room, that's where I saw the the bigger subscribers uh, coming in. You know, people subscribing, more followers. When I started targeting that stuff, which was the mainstream at that point. Uh, from there, I started realizing, you know what? Back then, my videos looked a little crappy. Uh, just OBS record info straight away. No no introduction. No no personality to it. Uh, and once I started adding more personality to it and started making videos like not how to get this lead but how to how to use the lead as well that's when as well like the the viewers increased and the subscribers increased like heavily um other than that it's just been a slow grind man a slow grind and trying to make stuff that i like as well like if i'm making a certain style of music and that's what i'm about that's what i'm gonna make i try not to follow the trends too much because i feel like that's a one-way ticket to just hating what you're doing if you're not making the content that you like essentially yeah so so maybe that's just been a slow grind now going back you said the comedy videos got a lot of plays and all that that is true they did the thing i felt with the comedy videos again going back to hitting the right demographic was that the comedy videos i felt like didn't really return a good roi so in, in time so it would take me a while to make them but i felt like the people watching those videos weren't going to be people buying and supporting the work that i do it was more for entertainment yeah it's nice to see the views and whatnot like yeah i got a hundred thousand views right but again I, I didn't feel value in those people watching it like it wasn't the right thing I, I feel more value out of the more educational ones that i make to be honest definitely yeah i i can probably yeah i can 100 percent agree with that it yeah it just comes back to your target audience who are you it does you know it provides some value to people but is it the right audience that you're wanting to hit on you know it, it's I'm sure it was fun to film and do that sort of stuff and hang out with friends and, you know, just enjoy yourself. But yeah, it does come down to how much time are you spending on that sort of stuff? Exactly, what, man. What is that return? Is and, that, was the return worth it? Yeah. And, and, you know, going back to it too, um, people going on YouTube right now, mainly producers going into it, just straight up trying to make money off the ads as well. I don't think that's the right way to take it because ads on YouTube have been going down. Like, I get about 500,000 views a month from my videos and I only make about 800, 1000, which, you know, to some people might be, okay, that's cool. But unless you're getting in like a million views or 2 million per video, that's where you're going to see money that you can really sustain yourself on. So, so again, going back to that, the views for me were never like, oh, if I get a hundred thousand views, it means more sales. It's more about, again, if I get 5,000 views on a video, but the info is good and the right people are there, niching that down even further, I feel like there's more value in that. Even though that video might generate maybe like $10 instead of, you know, like let's say 500. Um, I know the, the return on investment is better because there's a product that I have tied yeah. to it now. Yeah, there's, you know, it's th the same thing with raising rates. Um, whenever you raise rates, there, there's, it, there's interesting math here. So 
if you're charging a product that is $200, let, let's take mixing and mastering for instance. Um, if you get a client, let's say you're getting two clients per month, each of them are paying $200 per mix and master. You're doing two tracks. Uh, you have to deal with two clients and you get $400. Now, why don't you raise your rate to $400? Cause now all you need is one client, one track. That's all you have to deal with. And that's a very simplified version of that but i mean dumb it even down let's say you let's say you need to make four hundred dollars a month and you're charging a hundred dollars per track uh that means you have to get four clients for the entire month now if you again let's double the rate if you go to two hundred dollars per track now you only need two clients so you do 50 percent of the work and dumb it down even further go to 400 you're only working with one client you're doing the one thing that you need to do um, it certainly might be a little bit more difficult to find that client, but the point is, is you're going to make the same amount of money for less work. You can draw the exact same conclusion with your videos where if you create, you know, those comedy videos, sure, maybe you got an extra thousand subscribers through that. You know, maybe you're, you're hitting your, your views went up, your likes went up, you're kind of in the algorithm a little bit more. That's great. But are those thousand people going to do anything? Now, let's say you were to make some sort of sound design tutorial and you're mentioning your products in it and you only get 10,000 views, you get maybe 50 subscribers out of that. Well, those 50 subscribers might be super fans, whereas the thousand were not even close to being a super fan. Those 50 subscribers are going to spend infinitely more money than those 1,000 subscribers. That is your time spent way more. Uh, there's way more value in that time spent rather than the you know the comedic video oh right on man and and you know i get comments on my videos too and followers that i have that know me for a while and they're like yo sin how do you feel like this guy getting so many plays versus you and and stuff and i always tell them uh, he might be getting more than me but you know I, i'm for, i know for sure i'm making more right. than him like I, it's 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 nasty to say it that no, way but, but it's true <laughs> no it's it, uh, it it comes down to that value added like what are yeah. you doing to add value exactly man it, it as sad as it is for me to say it like that because i you know i like to be very humble about this <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i agree um, <laughs> it, it's it's again it's like people think that success on youtube means having millions of plays and again, if you're in it for that, like that's that's the business goal is get as many views as possible. Then yeah, definitely success. But if your if your goal is to just sell a product or get people to to know about you and, and high quality, again, going back to that, then I feel like no, I'm doing better than him because again, the videos he's making are just all over. And also a lot of people that start off and they get a lot of views. Again, like when I started off, they don't really have a product uh, to sell. And right now, the way I feel YouTube is, if you make a YouTube channel, at least have something to sell to supplement the, sh the, the bad ad revenue you're going to be getting. Because again, 50,000 plays is nothing. You need millions of plays to be able to make a good living off your YouTube um, ad revenue, uh, per se. So for me, it's all about that. Again, uh, having a product good quality that you believe in that will help people and then making videos to draw those right people in rather than just drawing in like the, the, the masses mm -hmm. uh, that you know, that's the, the biggest thing. The other thing we're not hitting on too is the, the fulfillment of your life too. When you really oh, shift yeah. that focus, I mean, even just 10 degrees in the other direction where you go from 
I want views too. You know, I actually want to help people out. It, it, like when you, if you, if you are making content that's focused on views and you make one piece of content that's more focused on helping out people um, and impro improving their life, you know, whether or not we're talking about production or not, that the fulfillment from that is, I mean, I, it's, it is incredible when I get a new review on iTunes or where, wherever, yeah. or someone joins my, uh, the, the podcast group on Facebook and th the people, I mean, people are saying the nicest things, which I don't mean to, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, you know, like you, I'm trying to be humble, but how, like the feeling it gives you when someone's like, this is, um, I mean, I have learned so much. This is incredible. I'm binging the podcast because there's so much value when they're saying stuff like that, when they're like, this is extremely valuable. That makes me want to make more content that makes me want to make more episodes it makes me want to do more and help out more people because that is way more fulfilling to be like you know what i actually helped someone out today rather than oh i got a bunch of views today that's i mean they're two completely different worlds and it feels completely different no it does i agree with you i agree with you uh, 100 on that i always tell my wife too i'm like if, if i didn't do this for a living i wouldn't have instagram or facebook or none of that yeah, I just don't like the whole aspect of it, uh, you know, because sometimes I'll have videos, right, that I know are good. They don't get as many views. And I, I used to have issues with that, like going like, uh, maybe I'm just not good enough. And the imposter was, syndrome. Uh, yeah, exactly. That we were talking about uh, before the podcast. But for me, that that's just the biggest thing. So as long as I'm making good videos, I'm like, the information is super good in this video. Like, I, I'm like, mm, yeah. And it only gets 5,000. At least I have that satisfaction knowing that I, I put in all my work and the people are going to get that value. I'm going to help someone today. Um, someone uh, will find it. Someone and is someone going to find it. it and they're going to find it to be very useful. I experienced the same thing with, you know, I'll have podcast episodes. I do solo. Then I'm like, this was awesome. This is fucking great. And then it gets like the lowest views. I'm like, okay, well, you know, a couple of things I'm being told. One, they don't really care about this topic, but um you know, someone's going to find it. Someone's, you know, those super fans are going to listen to it and they're going to see value in it. And it's the same thing with, you know, the, I, you've got people who have the notification bell on for you. So as soon as you upload something, they're going to jump into it and they're going to be like, this is great. This is fuck. This is what I needed today. And they're going to get hyped up. And they're going, I'm jumping in the studio today. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. So that, that's the biggest thing. And again, uh, I hate putting it down to business, but biggest, biggest, biggest sales come from those videos either way that's that's number one thing so so again you know f the views just good content uh that people want to watch and again you will get people interested in what you're doing eventually mm -hmm. yeah i agree um do you have anything else i mean i think we pretty much hit on everything there man not not really man just you know that that's the biggest thing if, if people get content out of this podcast everything we talked about but again, if, if you're a musician, I think YouTube, TikTok, Instagram is definitely where you want to be at and making content. Just make sure you're making the right content for it, making the right content. For me, it's, it makes sense to make content for producers because, again, I'm selling sound banks and, and samples for people, uh, saving them time there. But if, if I'm making music, I'm not going to target producers. I'm going to target the demogra demographic for that music. So... You know, I had uh, one student I did a session with whose name is Topic. So I'm sure many people know him now. He's on the billboards. Uh, I forgot the name of the song he just released, but it's it's up there. Uh, and the way he got known, he kind of sat down. He was like, this is what he told me. 
uh, I looked at my demographic for this music I'm making. He's like, a bunch of it is girls. Like, girls from the ages of, I think he said the ages, let's say 18 to 24. And he's like, I'm going to make a Facebook ad for my song. Uh, I think it was like some guy named Nick Santos or something. And I'm going to put $10,000 into advertising for it. And he did that. And, and yeah, it, it, was, it was spot on. Worked for him. Uh, so, again, it's, it's about having the right demographic as well, knowing, knowing what you're going to be doing with it. And again, if you want to do sound banks and stuff, that's good too. And definitely do the producer stuff, add value to the producers, right? Just know what you're going to be doing at the end of the day and who you're targeting. And finding that, you know, like I said earlier, finding that 80-20 principle, you know, because it's important to, I talk about this with a lot of younger producers as well, is, you know, don't feel like you need to niche down into one business now, or you need to niche down into one genre now. Spread it out, you know. Maybe make a couple of sound packs and send them to people, see how they react, uh, do some mixing for some people, see how they react, find out what you're good at, and then use the 80-20 principle to cut the rest out, focus in on that one thing. Same thing with your demographic. That, that's exactly. what's really going to make you drive forward. That's going to push you through your career is that sort of stuff. Agreed, man. And I always tell producers, man, anything you, anywhere you can save people time and frustration, offer it. So, like, I've always had this idea. I hate working with vocals and auto tuning them and, and all that. You can always offer that. Like, if you're really good at it, just tell people, hey, I'll, I'll do that for you for $100, $200. There is so, I mean, I've got a buddy who does vocal production. He's, that's what he primarily does. There's a mastery to that. There is, you got to be like, if you spend the time to work on vocals and really get good, get good at it. I mean, my buddy can tune up a vocal, get it prepped and ready in under an hour, a full vocal. Whereas if I were to sit there and do that, it would take me three days. It, it's, it's, and it, it would not be good. So there's an art form to that. And I mean, with how many producers that send me their tracks, uh, a lot of producers need work on vocals. So it's like, it's a product that the market, you know, needs the market needs more vocal producers. So, I mean, shit, I might, I'm, I'm going to need to find a vocal producer to <laughs> bring in on go, this episode on a new episode. Yeah. Anything, anything that again, again, it's going to save people time and make, make their time making music a lot more enjoyable. Enjoy yes. Mm -hmm. That's and the it's going to make thing, them sound better too. That, you exactly. know, this is something we didn't, we were starting to close up shop, but um, this is something we didn't mention, but I'm curious about if you've heard of this and if you've utilized it, but making the hero's journey about your customer. So think of um, in Star Wars. Now, Luke is the big hero in the entire movie. Now, when you watch Star Wars, usually people resonate towards Luke. They want to be the hero of the story. So a lot of the times where business owners will fail is they think they're Luke. They think they're fighting the empire. They think they are fighting Darth Vader and they're the hero of the journey and the story. And so they'll market their products that way. As if, you know, if you come to me, this is like, you're not going to get a mix better anywhere else. I'm the best mixing engineer. I'm the best mastering engineer. You, you, I'm the best sound designer. You're going to get the best sound packs for me. Whereas if you were to just flip the script and go, no, they're the hero, they're Luke. I am a, you know, I'm, I'm Han Solo or I, you know, I'm a side character. So I'm there Chewbacca, yeah. someone that's not a primary person and, you know, not the main character of the entire story um, and the entire focus. 
if you shift focus, put someone else's Luke and go, you know what? If you come to me, you are going to sound incredible. Your mixes are going to sound the best that they've ever seen. Everyone's going to compliment how good you sound and how great you are. Same with your, you know, with sound packs. If you buy my sound pack, you're going to have the, your tracks are going to be amazing. You are going to sound like a legend. If you just flip that script, I mean, two again, talking about vibes, two completely different stories told there, two completely different vibes. Do you utilize that at all? Yeah. Uh, I didn't know what's called a hero's journey or whatever. That, that's a nice way to put it. It's very nice. Mm-hmm. Very clean. Uh, <laughs> very clean, man. Yeah. I, you know what? I found out about copywriting. So I, I think that was uh, something I saw Cymatics do first. They, uh, when I started reading the descriptions, it wasn't about what the pack had or how good the pack was. It was more about how it's going to help you, the, the person that's going to acquire the pack. So, so once I, I read that and I started realizing that, that's when I started doing it. So on descriptions, when I do videos or when I do like the overview for the packs, it's all about the person. Exactly. I'm not saying I'm the best sound designer in this world and, and, and you're going to sound like, uh. Nah, it's it's more about you know I, I go like you know I worked really hard on these sounds and I know you guys are gonna put them to good use to make good songs, full source of inspiration for you you know targeting those key things, uh, that people want with sample packs and sound banks, and the right sound so that they don't have to frustrate the, you know the the right samples knowing that they can trust those samples, uh, etc. Right so so yeah it's making it about them. Uh, I started realizing that too because I was like. You know, back then I used to do testimonials as well. Like I, I had like a couple of people that would I would try and get to do testimonials for the pack, saying, you know, stuff like, oh, this is a good pack and whatnot. Which, you know, whatever. I didn't feel value in that at all. I, I was like, why did? I guess you know that's a bit of uh, what's that? What's the term? Validation to it. Mm-hmm. Like it lets people social know, proof. hey, social proof. It's social. That that's the best way. Social proof. But to me, it just didn't feel like it was doing a lot. Like who cares? I'm like they care more it's, about what they're gonna do right right it's almost better to showcase the sounds and you know if you can pull a tr- quick track together and be like this is what these sounds sound like in a full track and then you shift it to like you i trust that you're going to be able to get inspired enough to utilize these sounds so that your track is going to sound so much better um, exactly make it about yeah. them so. yep all about that hero's journey awesome well dude do you have anything to plug uh just you know if you make dance music tech house mainly that's what i've been doing a lot recently and i love uh, i do have a couple of sound sets that you guys can check out if you like the sounds you hear and are looking for some check them out uh support me in any way or form or you can just check out the videos what's check your what's your website like, uh, evosounds.com evo sounds.com not oh, evil because yeah. some people think it's evil but <laughs> evo and i'll evo all these links will be in the show notes for you guys too at enviousaudio.com slash episode 38 um obviously check out your youtube channel if you haven't zen world his uh, he's you're you know funny enough so i'll tell a quick little story when i first started producing um i had these mentors who would mix and master all my tracks for free for me um and i got to sit in in on the sessions and they would show me how to do everything and so that's where I like learned to, I didn't really learn much about mastering. I would just watch how it was done and I had an idea of it. But when I launched my mixing and mastering studio two years ago, I went to you, you have a mastering video that you have on. It's a very basic one, um, but I, that's the video that I watched. And I basically took what I knew from my mentors and then took your video, merged, <laughs> oop, merged them together 
And that's how I started mastering for clients two years ago. Oh, man. So it was, I mean, you are part of the reason why I'm here today with a studio. So funny enough, there's a story there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that mastering video, man. I, I don't know how I feel about the content in it. Uh, that, that OTT in there, that OTT, I, I still question it to this day, but... <laughs> It's people. I I think a lot of our uh, producers don't understand the um uh with mastering everything is just little touch, just a little little tiny bit if you're doing anything. And so uh, a lot of producers overdo OTT and just oh, yeah, in yeah, general. Yeah. And then if you tell them to, oh hey, try OTT and mastering, that might be a little. Oh, pump the brakes yeah. there. <laughs> no, exactly, but. That OTT, I don't know. I've seen it come up. I, I, I do educate myself. Um, I have subscription to Sonic Academy, which is a good website for um, tutorials. And I've seen it come up a lot. Some people are starting to use it on their masters. Again, lightly, like 10, 6%, because it adds a really nice shine to the Nice top. harmonics. It gives you really nice, like, crispy harmonics, especially up in the higher frequency range. Um, I use a little bit of saturation in conjunction with OTT, and it really brightens everything up with and adding just very slight layers without actually like boosting you know the highs way up with an eq or something <laughs> no yeah i just call it uh the ellen musk i yeah. call that when i see that you're trying to go to the moon yeah <laughs> that's hilarious yeah. oh there man go, man frankie thank you so much for hanging out dude this was awesome super insightful um we'll have to stay in touch and yeah Definitely. dude, keep keep killing it you are you are pushing the business world of the EDM industry. Um, and I'm loving it, dude. Keep up with it. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me. It was nice yeah. talking here. All right. Take care, dude. Take care. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode. That was a ton of fun hanging out with Frankie. I know he's got a shit ton of great videos. I'm sure a lot of you who are listening to this have watched some of his videos and you may have even probably used some of his sounds, whether you realize it or not, even if you just grabbed them off splice or wherever. But if you guys want to check out some more of his stuff, I will have all of the links on the show notes at enviousaudio.com slash episode 38. I'll have his YouTube channel, Evo Sounds website, all of that information so you can go check it out. If you don't know who he is, highly recommend pretty much everything he's doing on YouTube. As always, head to Facebook.com and join the Facebook community, Electronic Dance Money Community. Say what's up. If you have any questions or you need any help with anything, make a post in there. There's plenty of people. A lot of the guests who have been on this podcast are in that group. They are more than willing to answer any questions, help you out with anything. Um, other than that, take care. Hope you guys have a great day, whatever day it is. And I'll see you next time.